Well, amen. It's good to see you this morning, church family, those of you in person, those of you who are joining us online. And uh, what, uh, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Storm of the century and, uh, and um, all the other things you see happening around the world. And it presents, as a child of God, presents really a question, which is how do you and I walk with a supernatural strength and courage where we are persistent in seeking the direction and will of God so that we would live out a faithful Christ-like witness to the world. How, how, how do we find that strength? How do we come to that, especially when we live in days when things are discouraging, challenging, where there is real opposition, where there is tiredness, where there is fatigue? And praise the Lord, there's an answer to that. So if you grab your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we're, we're picking up in a time when David is going to hit rock bottom. You see, in the book of 1 Samuel, we find in 1 Samuel 15, King Saul has been rejected as king by God because he has feared the desires of his men more than honoring what the Lord has laid out. There was a lack of strength, a flaw in his character that he yielded to, and God pulls the kingdom from Saul and Saul's family. We find in 1 Samuel 16, David steps on the scene. He is anointed as the future king of Israel. We find in 1 Samuel 17, he walks out courageous onto the battlefield, takes on Goliath and the Philistine army. The people flock to him. But then we find in 1 Samuel 18 that Saul, who initially loves David, will now spend the rest of his life hunting David down. David will live on the run for his life and for really the next probably 15, 16 years, hiding in the wilderness, slowly men coming with him. And ultimately all this builds up where we find in 1 Samuel chapter 27, where David not only is on the run, but now he has to flee to the Philistine nation for protection. Once the people who they would look at David as their greatest enemy, now he has had to go seek protection there. And he and his men have gone up to meet with the Philistine king in chapter 29. See, the Philistines are about to go to battle with Saul and the people of Israel. And they've gone up and they've gotten ready to go to battle. And the king wants David and his men to come to battle. But the Philistine lords say, there's no way, king. We're not going to go into battle with somebody who could easily turn because those are his own people. So the king of the Philistines sends them back to their city of Ziklag. And that's where we pick up. It says in 1 Samuel 30, then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that they've been marching for three days, that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone. And they carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, a shock, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. You can imagine David and his men, we'll find out later, 600 men. They've made an 80-mile journey over three days back from the capital of the Philistines, back to their journey in Ziklag. And you can imagine with me as they walk up, as they're excited to see the skyline of home, as they're expecting maybe their, their kids to run out. And, and what they see is smoke from the distance. 
And as they get up, they find not the wonderful home they left. They find an empty, burned ghost town. No trace of their wife, their wives, their children. No knowledge of of who took them, where they went. How big of a group was it? Can we get them back? And, and there is a shock when they see this sight. And you see in verse four, the reaction, then David and the people who were with him, they lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. You can see them. Here are these men, hardened, wilderness, uh, wilderness trained, battle hardened warriors and the sight of their city and their homes burned and not knowing where their wives and children are. Are they okay Have they already been sold into captivity and slavery? Are they being abused and battered? And what do they do? They just cry out and they weep. And they weep until there is no more ability in them to weep. It says, verse five mentions David, two of his his two wives and his children were taking. But then look at verse six. It says, more than this, David was greatly distressed. He was cornered. He was placed into a predicament because the people, his own men spoke of stoning him for all the people were embittered, were, were literally, they were in total despair in the core of their being, each one because of his sons and his daughters. So here's David. Can you imagine Here we are, let's rewind the clock. David, Samuel shows up, anoints David. You are God's, the man after God's own heart. You're gonna be the king. David steps out in confidence in the Lord, slays the giant Goliath, leads the people of Israel over the Philistines. People flock and love him. He he has no desire to usurp Saul. And then in a moment, Saul becomes jealous and envious and insecure and starts to hunt David. And David is now running for his life. He has spent 15 years living in the wilderness, bouncing from place to place, having to fall under the protection of peoples that are not God's people. All because he's God's man. God's allowed him to have some men around him that, that were loyal, that were, would honor his leadership. But now, even in this moment, here we are, those men now, no longer are they loyal, but they're sitting on the side looking up going, this is all David's fault. We need to take him out. Can you imagine the anguish, the concern, the perplexity that is in David? But look what it says about David. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself. For that that verb elsewhere, David took courage from the Lord his God. You don't find David all of a sudden falling before the Lord, bemoaning, God, why have you abandoned me? God, why would you let this happen? God, where are you? God, what does David do? David goes confidently before the Lord and takes strength, takes courage. How, How does David do that? Well, I'm just going to mention several places. You can imagine some of the Psalms David has written. You can imagine as David hears the whispers, him, him praying prayers like Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all his, all, all my fears. Or maybe you can imagine him sitting there praying Psalm 37 as he thinks about Saul who's safe, who has power. And he says, 
to the Lord, do not fret because of evildoers, David. Do not be envious towards wrongdoers. They will wither like the grass. They will fade like the green herb. David, trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. Or, or, or maybe it's places like Psalm 52. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. And speaking to the evil man, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you up from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at the wicked saying, behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you God thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. Think of these Psalms, these prayers of David as there he is in that moment, getting before the Lord, drawing strength. How do you and I find strength in the Lord? It is an intentional action to be still before God, to meditate on the truth of his word, to guide our thoughts, to consider the truth of who he is, of what he has done, of how he acts and specifically our relationship to him. Because if we are his children, it is because we have been purchased and bought with the precious blood of Christ. We are not of minor value to God. We are of utmost value to God. We take courage in the Lord by making a choice to approach God with a confidence, to take courage from who he is, to take courage and confidence from the unchanging character and nature of God rather than trying to take courage and confidence from the ever-changing reality of our circumstances and situations and from anyone who is less than God. But see, church family, it's a struggle to do this. It's a struggle because we have constant noise. Because rather than quieting ourselves and seeking courage from God, we've got opportunities to have music nonstop in our ears, to turn to the media at any moment, to pull up social media, to, to turn to other people. There is no place for solitude. And you and I are addicted to busyness whether it's busyness of the mind or busyness of action. Sometimes we're, we want the instantaneous gratification. I want to quote a Bible verse and instantly feel better. And that's not how God works. Sometimes it's because we are, if we're honest, we want courage from our present circumstances. Is that not what David's men were there at? David's men, they want courage from their present circumstances. Their present circumstances are terrible. So what are their thoughts? It's not about taking courage from the Lord. It's about taking out David. Sometimes we don't take courage from the Lord because we don't really know who he is. If you don't know him personally, you can't take courage and strength from him. Or if maybe you know him personally, you've been saved by the blood of Christ, you've been bought and you've been saved by the grace of God, but you don't really know who God is because we're so illiterate and unfamiliar with his word and his revelation to us. Or maybe for many of us, the reason we don't take courage from God is because we actually doubt who he is. Here's the sad reality as I reflect upon this passage. 
Rarely do any of us face a situation as absolutely rock bottom as David. But here's a man living in a time where the Holy Spirit does not indwell him, where he has little to no access to the written word, and he demonstrates more confidence and faith in who God is and what he does than you and I who have access to all of that. See, taking confidence isn't taking courage from the Lord, being strengthened from the Lord. It's an action we're supposed to take. And it's not in the absence of grief. I'll remind you, David wept just alongside his other men. This isn't casually in the face of hardship going, uh, I'm just going to feel better and act like that's not there. No, David's not acting like the pain isn't there. But in the midst and in the face of that pain and the reality of what that means, he is taking courage from the unchanging character of who his God is and what that means in his life. Life And because he takes courage, watch what he does next. Verse seven, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this band, this army? Shall I overtake them? And God said to him, pursue and you will surely overtake them and you will surely rescue all. Now, what does he do? He says, bring me the priest and bring the ephod. It was a priestly garment that, that could be used to seek the Lord's will. And he says, here's what I'm gonna do. I've taken courage from the Lord, so now I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek, seek his direction. I'm going to seek his will. I'm gonna ask, Lord, what, how do you want me to respond in this situation? Because he is strengthened in the Lord, because he is confident of who the Lord is, he is quick to run and seek the Lord's guidance. Not the opinion of social media, not the consensus of the masses, not what another book says, not what all his peers says, but to go before the Lord and to seek what the Lord's direction is. To seek God's solution to the situation, not his own. There's many times you and I face in this world aspects where we are slow to come to the Lord for his guidance and wisdom. And may I suggest that part of the reason we are slow to come is because you and I will never be quick to seek guidance from someone in whom we have little confidence. That's why you see David strengthen himself in the Lord and then you see him seek out the Lord's direction, but watch what happens. The Lord gives them direction. The Lord says, go after them. Go after them. You're going to overtake them. So you see David get up. He and his 600 men, verse nine, they cross the book, the brook Besor. And when they get to that point, about 15 miles south of Ziklag, when they get to that moment, when they get to that point, 200 of his men are so exhausted physically and emotionally that they cannot go on. And before you go, well, wow, what a bunch of wimps. Remember, these are battle-hardened soldiers. These are the guys who looked at David and said, oh, you're thirsty? We're gonna go run in that city full of, the, full of our enemies. We're gonna go get a cup of water out of the well in there and bring it back to you without spilling any of it. These are the guys who, when you read their exploits, slaughtered hundreds of people in battles. These are not pushovers. They are wiped out at what has happened. And 200 of them say, we can't go a, mo a moment further. We are unable to even go try to get our wives and kids back. David, not knowing how big, here's the first challenge. He's strengthened in the Lord. He's got the Lord's direction. He could go, wow, now we're down to 400 men. That may not be enough, but notice what it says. But David pursued. 
And you find in the rest of the story, David is obedient to pursue, even though he's got to leave men behind. You find them come across an, an Egyptian slave of the Amalekites in a field. And in verse 11, they not only give him water, uh, water to drink and some bread to eat, but they actually go beyond that, offering him fig cakes and clusters of ravens, delicacies. I'm sure all of you, that's what you went and bought at the store this week to get ready for, uh, to get ready for the uh, snowpocalypse coming. Raisin cakes and fig cakes. But they, they revive this man back to health. They treat him with kindness, even though he was part of the raiding parties of some of the cities. And he agrees to help them. And we drop down to verse 16. And when, uh, when he brought him down, behold, they're looking out on the Amalekites spread over all the land, eating, drinking, dancing because of all the spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and Judah. They are so arrogant in their victory that they don't even have any lookouts. And so it says, David slaughtered them from dawn until evening the next day and not a man of them escaped except 400 who rode on. David recovered all the Amalekites had taken, rescued his two wives. There was nothing that was missing, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken back for themselves. David brought it all back. What we find as, as David has strengthened himself as he has sought the will of the Lord, we find now the resolve and conviction of David to walk rightly regardless of the circumstance. I don't know how big this army is. I just know it's bigger than ours. We've lost 200 men. We're not gonna stop though. God said pursue, so we pursue. Here's a person who's hurting in the, midst of our hard, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our pain. We could treat him ugly. We could overlook him. But no, we will treat him as an honored guest. We will feed and restore him to health and treat him with kindness. They show up and they see, they see the army laid out in front of them. What do they do? They would charge into battle. They charge into battle. God delivers everything. And, and they not only get, receive everything they had lost, but they take even more from, from that which the Amalekites had taken. And when you get into verse 21 and, and 22, a part of his men say, all of this spoil, it's gonna only be for us who fought in the battle. Everyone who stayed behind can't have it. And when you're gonna watch verse 23, David shuts that down. David said, you must not do this, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that will come against us. David's argument is this, we didn't take this, this isn't ours. God delivered this into our hands so everyone gets a part. You watch whether the circumstance is frightening, losing 200 men, or whether the circumstance is incredible, having all the spoils of victory, David walks righteously because he is living out the direction of the Lord that was given to him as he strengthened himself in the Lord. So you and I, church family, we are called to walk in a godly manner no matter what the circumstance is. We are called to walk in a godly manner. We are called to be consistent, to be consistent in the way that righteousness flows through us. Neither hardship nor blessing is ever a reason for you or I to act unbecoming a follower of Christ. But it's gonna be difficult to walk out the righteousness of Christ when we do not seek his guidance and direction for the situation because we are weak and unconfident and have a lack of strength in who he is. See, David is able to take strength 
to be, to take courage, to find courage in who God is. He is, he is driven to seek the Lord's direction and the Lord's deliverance to the issue rather than his own. There is a calmness and consistency in how he lives out the righteousness of God, no matter the circumstance. And the reality is it is because there is a bigger picture than just simply his actions in the text. Because when you look at this text, what you find is God's sovereign hand over everything that takes place. And it's because David is confident and trusts the Lord fiercely because David actually believes that God is shepherding his life for God's own glorious purposes. This is why David is driven to seek strength, to seek direction, to walk consistently. You see, when you walk through this text, there's another lens to see because the next chapter after this is gonna record the battle of the Philistines and Saul. And what's gonna happen in that battle is the Philistines are going to slay Saul and all of his children or all of his sons that are in battle, save one. This is gonna open the door as the beginning of 2 Samuel for, for David to come in and, and for the, the men of Judah, the tribe of Judah to make David king and then for David to, to exert that kingship and, and ultimately the rest of the nation to come in and, and honor his kingdom. You see what you find here in this passage is you find God preparing, protecting and providing for what his purpose is for David's life. Here's why I say preparing because David's not the first king of Israel to fight the Amalekites. Do you know who Saul was fighting in chapter 15 when he lost the kingdom because he did not obey exactly what God said because in his own words, he feared the voices of his people? The Amalekites. What cost Saul the kingdom? He didn't really believe God was who he said he was, which made him insecure in terms of what God called him to do as king, which is why he feared the voices of his people rather than the voice and command of the Lord. So God allows David to find a place at rock bottom. David can't go ask the Philistines for help. He can't go recruit more to his army. His own army is turned against him. The only thing the Lord can do is, that David can do is look to the Lord. See, this is a test. There's a preparation. David, are you going to be the king that's truly driven after my heart? Are you going to be the king that will trust in me, that will seek direction from me, that will find your strength, not in the consensus of your people, but in the pleasure of my heart on your life? That is what God is doing. He is preparing and he is testing David, but he's not only that, he's protecting David. What a situation. If David goes up to battle with the Philistines, what does David do? If he sterns and goes with the Israelites, Saul's gonna kill him afterwards and the Philistines aren't gonna keep him safe. But if he fights with the Philistines, he has to go against Saul and the Lord's people. And the situation that looks like rock bottom and there is no hope is actually a situation where God is protecting David and his men because God has something bigger in store. God's not only protecting, he's providing. David takes the end of the chapter, when you look at verses 26 through 31, it talks about David takes some of this spoil and he gives it as gifts to various people, various cities of the tribe of Judah. Now, why is that key? Because that tribe of Judah is gonna look and go, we just saw our king killed in battle. We know God's hand 
is with David. We now see David is the victor. He has delivered all of this spoil. It's time that we recognize God's hand and make David king. God provides the very means through which the people are going to begin to honor and set David as king. See, church family, when it comes to our lives, God is in control. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the mysteries of his sovereignty in our lives. I'm not saying that everything happens is because God causes it, but everything that happens is at minimum because God allows it. And there is nothing that touches your life or my life where God is not in some way preparing us, where God is not in some way protecting us, and where God is not in some way providing for his purpose in and through our lives. Emphasis on his purpose. This is not a path that guarantees health, wealth, and prosperity just because we know it works out for David. David's strength wasn't in knowing how it would all turn out. His strength was knowing that his God was good and his God was for him and his God was gonna work out his purpose in and through his life. My senior year of college, I... uh, missed out on a job that I was the most qualified candidate for. Would have been, in my mind, really the perfect job to go to seminary. You work half days, you make a full salary, you have free room and board for to be the RD of a dorm at, at DBU. And, and, and uh, not only was I not brought into the interview process, I, I wasn't even asked, even though months prior, they literally said, if this job ever opened up, would you want it? And I said, yes, I would. I, I wasn't even approached. They actually hired a guy that I trained. And then as things went on, the president of DBU, who who we had formed a relationship over time, he would come to me and say, I just feel, Wes, God has laid it on my heart. I'm supposed to help you somehow with a job. But everywhere that he had recommended me didn't pan out. and, And there was nothing he could have on campus to offer me. And I remember there being... This distinct, Lord, what is going on? I do not understand. How will I pay for seminary? How will I live? What is happening? And unfortunately, I did not draw the level of strength that David did. I was kind of 50-50. I drew some strength, but I also drew a lot of worry, which played itself out in some negative ways. Because here's what I couldn't see. The path that I had laid out let me do this RD job. I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to, I'm going to get the two years I need in seminary. And then, and then I'm going to go where I feel like God's leading overseas and never come back. Or when Dr. Cook sent the, the recommendation letter to the, the organization that I was looking to, to work for in seminary. And he got a letter back from the head of that organization who pastored a local church and said, I'll, I'll put Wes's resume in. What I didn't know is that the place that God would take me wouldn't even be open until June. But the place that God would take me to go become a youth pastor at First Baptist Carrollton, which I never dreamed of, whose pastor was the one that back in February, Dr. Cook wrote the letter of recommendation to, which is why he knew who I was, which is why he approached and said, would you be willing to come and talk to us about this reality? Which is why as I worked through and prayed through and the Lord said, this is where I want, this is where you go. Understand church family, that protection, that reaching a point, which was for me as a senior in college, a rock bottom moment of having no future direction, that moment 
was God's protection from that which looked like a great godly plan for what his purposes were, which were beyond what I could ever dream. Because I will tell you this, if that job had opened up, I would not be your college minister at Central. I'd be somewhere in Eastern Europe, not in the will of God. See, church family, God is sovereign over our lives. He is preparing, he is protecting, he is providing for his purposes. So, as you and I walk through an uncertain and challenging world, whether it is COVID, whether it is a job loss, whether it's a salary reduction, whether it's the state of our country, the state of our world, whether it is in personal opposition, whether it is in family issues, as you and I walk, may we do so drawing our strength from who God is, seeking his direction to every situation so that regardless of the circumstance, we would live and walk in a Christ-like, God-fearing manner. Let's pray. Father, there's no one in this room, no one watching online that has not had some level of challenge realistically in the last year. And Father, it is easy to get caught in the fast-paced reality and the intensity of where things are at. And it is easy to grow discouraged. It is easy to grow weak and miss out on the opportunity to take courage and strength from you. But Father, if we don't take courage and strength from you, it will impact our desire to seek your direction. And if we don't know your direction, it will hamper our ability to live out the calling you've placed on our lives. So Father, may we be confident. May we settle it in our spirit today that you are who you say you are that you are over our lives and with a loving care in the way that you say you are in scripture, that you are preparing, you are protecting, you are providing, and Father, may we draw strength. So Holy Spirit, as we move into a time of response, you know where every heart is. May we respond obediently to you. It's in your name that I pray. I'm gonna invite you to stand and join with, with us in a, in a time of worship. And as God leads you to respond, some of you, maybe there's someone in here today online, you don't know Jesus Christ. You can't have the strength that you find David have because you don't know him. We would love to introduce you to him today. Maybe someone here, you, it's time to join the church. Whatever decision you have, we'll have ministers down front to help walk you through what your decision is. Maybe today, there just needs to be some movement. There's nothing magical about the altar, but there just needs to be some movement to come down to the altar and to pour your heart out before the Lord, to weep before the Lord so you can take strength from the Lord. However the Holy Spirit leads you to respond, you respond today.